Amen. Hallelujah. Yep. Give it a hand. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for the ministry of Easter and, and of your words, your final words. It is finished, Lord God. Thank you so much once again that you gave up your spirit and your life so that we could have ours. And Father God, I thank you right now that uh, over these next few minutes, you're going to breathe your Holy Spirit life upon those red letters, Lord God. And I just ask you right now to uh, just envelop me, speak through me. I become absolutely nothing and you become everything, oh Father God. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would overwhelm us, Lord God, with the truth of who you are in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Hallelujah. Good to see you all. I love this moment because I get to look at you all. And uh, I, just, I just want you to know that it is always an exercise of great self-control because I want to run off the stage and just chat with every single one of you, find out how things are going. And some of you I don't know yet, so I want to run up and, and meet you so bad. So uh, after church or whatever, grab me, feel free, and, and uh, just know that I love you, and uh, the Lord loves you, and, and ever since last Sunday, the Lord's been getting ready for you to come back through those doors and be washed by his word once again, and unified with the body, hallelujah, because God's body, his bride is being prepared his bride is being washed, and she will come forth without spot or wrinkle. And she will be presented to her beautiful groom in perfection. And that's you. Amen? And that's not the sermon. So let's get over here, too. <laughs> I could just go a whole, a whole year on that. All right, so Red Letter Revival. Uh, picking it back up again. We'll see how long this goes. I hope you're enjoying it. But I always want to start off with John 1, 1, okay? So uh, let's put that up on the screen, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and uh, what's the next verse? I didn't write it down. And the Word became flesh. Go to the next one. I'm going to die. Somebody read it for me. He was in the beginning with God. Okay. And then a little bit farther down, I know I did not give him the cue. I, he is so obedient. He, don't, he, he did what I... The, yes. On verse 14, the word became flesh and he dwelt among men. And uh, so that word is Jesus. Jesus is called the word. Now, why isn't Jesus called king or master? Why isn't Jesus called the big kahuna at this point? Why does God, the Holy Spirit, inspire John to call him the Word? The Word. Because words, as I've said in the past, and this is our theme, because it's words that cause strangers to become friends. And I'm going to just keep drilling this home to us that we would understand that if you're walking down the street, if you sit down, if you meet somebody and they are a stranger, there's all sorts of unknowns. There's mystery about that person. There's misunderstandings. You could be judging them from the outside. You could be judging them from what you heard about that person. You could judge them on what you are thinking that they should be doing and they're not. You could judge anyone that you don't know 
know in any way, shape, or form. But the moment you sit down and have a conversation with them, and they begin to share with you what's inside of their hearts, and you begin to understand the whys and the wheres of their lives, then all of a sudden they are no longer strangers, but they become friends. And Jesus Christ was sent to this earth to draw strangers into his heart, into the heart of God, so that we would become friends of God. It's the life and words of Jesus Christ as he walked those three years on this earth that is a message from the very heart throne room of God to yours. And he wants to draw you, draw you, draw you from being strangers close to being friends. Amen? And that is why Jesus is called the Word. And we're going to focus more and more on a lot of these red letters in the Bible and uh, just hear the message, hear the message. So two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I shared with you the first words of Jesus's ministry. And if you remember what that was, uh, it is found in John and uh, a couple of the different uh, books actually. And the, the word goes like this. It says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Those were his first words. And I don't know if you remember that week, but I was kind of squeezed on time, and that's mean for a preacher after they've spent their entire six days prior preparing for that sermon. And when that, that uh, sermon time gets compressed, and then all of the, everything that you've poured out and, and figured out, then you have to go, oh, okay, we'll have to skip that part. So guess what? I'm coming back to the part that I skipped, because I, I can, <laughs> because I'm up here with the mic. So um, we're going to kind of return back to that. And I want to, uh, we focused on the repent side and the yielding side of that statement. But today I want to uh, just focus on the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God side. Uh, in the New Testament, the references made to kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, or anything like that, there are 149 of them. And this one right here is really excited about the kingdom of God. Amen. 149 times in the Gospels, 149 times. That is a lot of reference to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. So that, therefore, I think is very, very pertinent that we understand what he means by that. And I'm sure that a lot of you have heard all sorts of sermons on the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, but we're just going to get one more in right now. And uh, hopefully we're going to be done today with that, and you'll have a very, very good understanding. But to just kind of give you a quick reminder, this was a couple of weeks ago, so a quick reminder that uh, outside of that 149 times in the New Testament, 78 of those are actual red letters where Jesus speaks about the kingdom of heaven, not just referencing, uh, but actually he, he says it. So 79 times. But if you get, it, you know, if you look it up, there's one other spot. And one other book where actually the kingdom of God is talked about, and that's in Daniel. So I want to do a very, very quick reminder of Daniel. So if you will turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel is an amazing prophet. He's living about 600 B.C. He's living in Israel, and Babylon comes in and takes Israel, overtakes Israel, and takes them into exile. So all the years prior of that, when God was sending prophets into Israel and saying, come on, people, turn to me, turn to me, or you're going to lose everything. Turn to me, or you're going to lose everything. Uh, uh, 
you know, you don't want what's coming. Well, they never do. And sure enough, Babylon comes in and takes over. Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes all of the Israelites into captivity. And uh, so he goes with them. And the, you, you've heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, all of those guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the men in the fiery furnace and all that. That's in the book of Daniel. So Daniel is in, in uh, exile, and he is sleeping one night, just minding his own business, and he has a vision. How many of you have ever been sleeping one night, minding your own business, and you have a dream, and you wake up, and you go, oh, my word, what a dream was that? And God visits you in the night. Isn't that just the coolest thing? Well, Daniel has a dream, and it's about some beasts, and it's about some men and all sorts of things and uh, he gets the interpretation and here's what it says in verse um, I'm going to start with verse 15 Daniel chapter 7 verse 15 I Daniel was troubled in spirit and and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me so I approached one of those standing there this is in his vision uh, one of those standing there and asked him the true meaning of all this so he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things the four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise in the earth and I'm going to just push pause Remember I told you that those four kingdoms are believed very strongly throughout uh, all of history that the first kingdom was the kingdom of Babylon, one of the largest kingdoms at that time to ever rule in the earth. And Babylon was overran by the Persians and uh, King Darius and all that. And then uh, Persia was overran by the Greece, the Greek, I'm sorry, the Greeks, uh, Alexander the Great. And then Greece was overran by Rome. Remember Rome. And Rome ruled for hundreds of years. The great, amazing um, empire of Rome. And then as Rome was in power, a simple man named Jesus was born in one of their territories called Israel. Okay, so I'm that's okay, now unpush pause. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise in the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. So this progression of kingdoms, of, of one kingdom and then a greater thing coming along, a greater king, a greater kingdom coming along and, and overcoming, and then that rules for a while until another kingdom rises up that's even greater and overcomes that one. And then another one rises up and overcomes this. But what this says is that in the middle of the fourth kingdom, it, during the fourth kingdom's reign, that there was going to be another kingdom that rises up. And then go up to verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there was before me like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and led, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So when Jesus was born... During, um, during the Roman power, during the Roman Empire, when Jesus was born, he came as a baby in a manger at Christmas time, and then he lived his life. And when he died, he died as inaugurating that kingdom. The kingdom that is going to rise up and eventually take over everything. So this is the kingdom that Jesus references. And if you remember, or as you read, I want you to remember that when he preaches about the kingdom, he says stuff like, it's at hand, or it's near you. It's coming now. 
It has this, this anticipation, this feeling like, you know, it, it's been very obscure, but then all of a sudden now it's going to start stepping forward. The kingdom of heaven. Now, um, a couple of things before we move into this any deeper, because that finishes my re- you know, review, so we're all kind of up on the same page. Uh, but I want you to understand that as you're reading through the Gospels, you're going to read kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. So which is the difference? Is there, are they the same? Are they different? And I uh, want to let you know that they actually are talking about the same thing. Uh, the Jewish people had a very high reverence for Yahweh, are you coming up? What happened? What? A spider, a spider, a spider, a spider. dropped down on the floor by your foot. And what? yeah, it dropped down, and then you walked through the web, and the web was stuck on your Still hair. Stuck to my, is that what's been bugging my head? <laughs> you know, you got it over here. Jasmine Wolf, where's my daughter? She would have absolutely had a cow right then. Okay, yes? It's better than a fly. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, okay. Can I tell the story? Or should we get... So, okay. I have dominion over every creepy crawly thing and every flying buzzing thing on the planet. I'll have you know that. Because there was a day, uh, uh, you know, a while back, I was sitting down there and there was a fly flying around Dwayne's head. Have you guys ever seen that? I'm like, I curse you in Jesus' name. And this thing is going like this all over and over and over. I'm like, get over here where I can reach you and I will take care of you. And the thing is buzzing around Dwayne's Dwayne's, uh, head and I'm right there. And you know what that thing did? It obeyed me. It came down and landed on my Bible. The fly landed on my Bible, and I was like, (laughs) truth, truth. You have no idea what happens in church services to the pastor's wife. I have, oh, I could tell you stories. There's other times I've been playing the piano, and one will come right down and land on the keys of my piano. And I'm like, okay, if I could just play that key, I could kill it. Anyway, kingdom of heaven. If we don't laugh at church, where can we laugh? Okay, so the Jewish people, this little hair of mine too, I don't know where that came from. That wasn't there a while ago. Okay, kingdom of heaven, Jewish people. They had a high regard for the word Yahweh. And uh, they, they even to the point where they were reading in the Bible, if they came to that word, they lift their finger and go over it. And so they highly regarded the name Yahweh. So kingdom of God, kingdom of Yahweh, that word is Elohim, Yahweh, okay? So they, in the Jewish culture, struggled with saying kingdom of God. It, would, it felt to them, they, and oh, that we would gain a little bit of this. But to say God was to take on their lips the most precious and reverent of words. And so quite often in the Jewish culture, they would substitute the word God for heaven because that's where heaven, where God resided. So for Jesus to interchange kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, all he was doing was he was acting in the culture. So now this is why 
even today, you'll hear, oh, my heaven. That's a replacement for, oh, my God. And I just a little side, because I'm up here, we need to be careful with our exclamations. That we would not lose the feel of, of reverence for the name of God. Because it is absolutely drug through the mud. You never hear Allah sworn with or exclaim. You know what I mean? You don't hear Buddha. You hear God all the time. Even coming out of Christians' mouths in an irreverent way. Okay, that's the end of that one. I was just free. So kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. I got to keep rolling here. We're never getting done. Now, the, uh, now the kingdom of God is a huge emphasis of Jesus' teaching. And I need you to understand it. I want us to, before we get into the words of actually Jesus, I want to take a moment and just, you know, because we've been cut, we're going to be focused on these few years of Jesus' teachings, but I want us to back up for just a moment. And I want you to see a perspective of the kingdom of God that you need to have so that when we drill down with Jesus, we have a better understanding. Okay? I want you to see something. I want you to turn over to Psalm. Psalm 7, verse 9. This is long before Jesus ever came. The Lord, Yahweh, reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will govern the peoples with justice. So this verse tells me that God's throne is forever. It is eternal. God's throne is not something just, this whole kingdom thing did not just start when Jesus was there. This kingdom thing, this kingdom concept with God started forever, eternity. And I want you to know that eternity goes in two different directions forever. Eternity goes all the way behind you, always been, always has been, never had a beginning, never had a, a time of birth. It has always been. It's a mystery that we finite creatures cannot really comprehend. But that's God. God has always been. He, if you could just start turning back the clock, just keep turning and turning hundreds, thousands, millions of years. You know, it was before years, actually, because time and years and months started with creation. When God put the sun and the moon and the stars, that's when time started going. Did you know that we live in the universe that's actually a big clock? That's when time started. When God said, let there be light and let the sun, and that, that's when time started. But before creation, God always was. There was no time because time hadn't been created yet. Am I messing with you? So prior to that, God was on the throne. His throne has been established forever. And his throne is established eternally that direction as well. So for this time in between where there is time, where, where the universe is as it is, it's going to keep ticking away. How many of you guys feel the ticking away? It keeps going. It just keeps going no matter what you think. But there is going to come a day where this universe is folded up and put away, and a new heaven, and a new earth. And God's reign is going to continue forever in that direction too. So I want you to see that the kingdom of God is an actual eternal thing. It is absolutely eternal. Psalm 29, verse 10. Here's another one. 
The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. 102, Psalm 102, verse 12. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all the generations. The kingdom of God and his throne are forever and ever. It is eternal. This is how it is. It is much bigger than us. It's much bigger than we can ever imagine. Much bigger. Now, let's turn over. I want you to see something in Isaiah. This Isaiah 14 is a passage that talks about a, a, a being called Lucifer. And I'm going to actually start um, verse 12. I know that I don't know if I have 12 written down. 12, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart. Now listen to these words because these are very powerful. You said in your heart, Lucifer. I'm just, this is him talk, uh, talking, being talked to. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to the pit. This is Lucifer's uh, shift. This is where he rises up in rebellion and he goes to the highest mountain and he declares that that is now his throne and that he now is going to reign. And he is cast down to earth. So now we have divergent kingdoms. We have the kingdom of God that's eternal and now we have a usurper. We live in that time. Now I want you to turn over to Matthew. This is gonna be really fun. I want you to see something here. Matthew, now we got Jesus born and he's on the earth and uh, he is baptized. And uh, after he's baptized in uh, Matthew chapter four, then he's led out by the spirit to the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's hungry and the tempter comes to him. And uh, the devil, Lucifer, the one that is now claimed the throne on the highest mountain, comes to Jesus and he tries to tempt him. And if he could tempt him and get him diverted off of his path, then hey, everything's good. He will have won. So Jesus goes through two temptations. The first one is for food because he was hungry. Fill my, fill my tummy. I've, I've been fasting and spiritually uh, laying down my life. And then the second one, what was the second one? Oh, throw yourself down from here, and, and Jesus kind of whips that one out. But let's read the third temptation, starting uh, Matthew 4, starting with verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a what? A high mountain. A high mountain. 
sounds a lot like the verses that we just read, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. So this had to be kind of a spiritual mountain. This had to be a place that was referenced back in Isaiah of the area, the place, the, the um, topography that, that Lucifer was trying to grab hold of and, and take for his own. He takes him, he's, he, he didn't just go up to Mount of Olives. He takes Jesus to the high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So the devil had something to offer him. He had some fame to offer him. He had some, some finance to offer him. He had some uh, just stuff to offer him. And he was offering it to him right here. And all of this I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, red letters, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I do not think, and I might be pushing it here, but I do not think that Jesus was the first of humanity that Satan has offered this to. He might not take humanity to a spiritual high mountain and show them all that, but how many times does Satan come to, to humanity and say, hey, listen, you know this whole kingdom of God thing or whatever, I can, I can do you one better. I'll give you all sorts of really cool stuff. Let me show you the splendor of my kingdom. I don't believe that Jesus was the first that, that Satan has tempted this way, and neither do I believe it has been his last. But I don't know that everyone has responded as Jesus has. And I will say to you that every single one of us come up against the enemy where he would love to offer you everything that he has for you. And quite often it looks pretty good. Quite often it has quite a bit of splendor added to it. It would be easier to go his way, a little bit more fancy and fun, a little more cool, a little more socially acceptable. But the caveat is, is that he requires you to bow down to him and worship him and to be a part of his kingdom. But I would ask the people of God that you would be ones that would stand up and say, absolutely not, for it is written only to worship God. I don't care what you have to offer me. I don't care how fun and cool and easy and normal and how everybody else is doing it. I will worship God alone. When Jesus came to Israel, there was, they were, the Israelites were in great bondage to Rome. It's a lot like Egypt. And that they were oppressed and wanted a deliverer. And so many of the biblical prophecies through the Old Testament spoke of a deliverer coming, of a king that was going to come and set the captives free, of a great kingdom that was going to be set up. So many biblical prophecies through the Old Testament. And the people in Israel, the people under this heavy oppression of Rome and all of the evil and the sacrilege of Rome, the people of God's people, the Israelites were under so much oppression that they were yearning for this moment yearning for the Messiah to come because they believed that that Messiah was going to come and just blow them away. But Jesus was after something greater than just another kingdom. 
Jesus wanted to do something much more fantastic than to just overcome Rome. Jesus wanted to be something far more effective than just another of the successions of kingdoms that would rise up that would be a little bit stronger and overtake until somebody else came up a little bit stronger and overtook. Jesus had something bigger in mind. When Jesus stood, he was, he, he was not here to overthrow the ruling king so that he could sit on a throne on earth, not yet. In John 18, 36, as Jesus is standing before Pilate, Pilate asks him, point blank, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says back to him, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. You see, biblically speaking, and God speaking, it's always first in the spiritual, then it's in the natural. And Jesus came here and walked on this planet to not just overcome and be a Roman emperor. Oh, no. He came and he walked this planet because he had a higher goal. He came to this planet not to be crowned a king and given an earthly throne. He came to this planet to die on a cross, to go into hell and take the keys of death and sin and the grave and overcome every single demon spirit. That Lucifer who rose himself up and set his throne above all things, thinking he was something, Jesus had a plan. He was going to come and he was going to overthrow that king. Jesus had a plan. He needed to be crucified. He needed to get in there where death was. He needed to go directly into the very pit of hell. He needed to confront every single demonic spirit, every single evil. He needed to carry every single sin in his perfect self, in his perfect life. And he needed to carry it to the point where he had the access into those places. And then he needed to resurrect out of that place, burst it open and come flying out out of there carrying with him those that were in death with him it says and then he would be now called something far greater than just an emperor of the Roman Empire now he would be called king of kings and lord of lords Jesus did not come for an earthly throne he came to set himself up on a much higher plane king of kings and lord of lords I want you to turn over to Re uh, Revelation 19 let me just tell you about this this Jesus that we serve let me just tell you why he came let me just tell you what last week means I hope that last week just still sits in your heart and is reverberating because I need you to know that you serve something that goes far beyond far beyond presidents and kings in this kingdom you serve someone you serve the mighty one that goes far deeper and far wider and far higher than anything on earth Revelation 19 
Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has, named, he has a name written on him that no one knows but he, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of the, his mouth comes a sharp sword which will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. God's kingdom is eternal throughout the whole universe. We are presently living in a spiritual kingdom that Jesus Christ set into motion with his death, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. But there will come a day, there will come a day where the throne of God will enter into this world in a physical way. Revelation 22, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb and of the lamb down the middle of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever this is the kingdom this is the kingdom of God that Jesus was bringing and kept saying it's at hand it's hand it's at hand it's right here I'm in your midst I'm here I'm going to go ahead I am not going to sit on your throne for your throne is nothing compared to the throne that I'm going to take but here's the the ticker the, the kicker and the best part about it is that if you accept Jesus Christ into your life into your heart that he takes you and puts you into Christ and then now you also reign and rule in the kingdom and in life what is this kingdom like Matthew 13 I'm not going to skip over it again because I've kind of painted myself into a corner here I've been having way too much fun with you people and the spiders and everything else Matthew 13 if you read through Matthew 13 uh, there's nine references Jesus makes to teaching you about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, okay? So I'm going to give you just a very quick little synopsis, and I'm going to read it out of order, so follow, just follow along. I'm going to go as fast. i got to put my mouth in high gear right now. So verses, uh, chapter 13 of Matthew, I want you to look very quickly at verses 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away when the wheat sprouted and formed heads then the weeds also appeared the owner's servants came to him and said sir why didn't didn't you sow good seed in your field where did all the weeds come from an enemy did this he said the servants asked him do you want us to go out and pull them up now my answer would be absolutely let's get out there let's dig them all right up and just have a pretty crop 
But it wasn't Jesus' answer. No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. If you'll skip down to verse 37. He answered, uh, his disciples said, give us, give us the explanation. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that, does, that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery fur furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their, fa in the kingdom of their Father. Who has, he who has ears, let him hear. Go over to uh, verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that will be let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it is full, the fishermen will pull it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in the baskets and threw out the bad. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asks. Now, I wish I could just keep my words happy and sweet. Accept Jesus and go tiptoe through the tulips, tiptoe through tulips. And that life will be wonderful. And that God loves everybody. And that it'll all pan out in the end. And God, no, Jesus' red letter words are very sure and true that talk about there is two different kinds of people and I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks because it keeps coming up and we have to have an understanding in the church that we have to be righteous not of the evil in the dark and last week I told you about the cross and the two criminals and there was two ways of approaching Jesus one was to rebel against him and to mock him and the other one was to agree and understand and yield and that one here was going to be with him in paradise the other one not so much People of God, there is an end of the age and there will be a judgment and I would not be able to finish my life as a pastor bringing the word of God to you if I don't bring you the whole truth. This isn't the gospel of love that like we like to hear it, but actually it is. Because I want you. I want me to not be plucked up and this is his call to all humanity across the earth to apply the blood of Jesus to your hearts and to enter into a yielded lifestyle with him that you might find that, that on the day of judgment, evil will not be found in you. So many people out there think, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. God loves us. How could a loving God send someone to hell? No, our Holy Father is holy. He's just. He's just. 
there has to be payment for sin. And if we don't accept Jesus Christ's payment on the cross and his everlasting blood to be applied to our hearts, then there will be judgment because then if he didn't judge, he wouldn't be holy and he wouldn't be a God. Because every sin harms people. And there's a, a balancing of scales that have to always be, be leveled out. And if there's a debt that we owe because we've sinned, hurt, harmed, broke something, then God has to level it out with the blood of Jesus and with his righteousness or else we have to pay for the sin. But there is an end of the age and there will be a judgment. And the people, hopefully, in, with ears from New Horizon will know about it and we'll be ready and we'll have the blood of Jesus and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ applied to them so that they can honestly say that it is finished and the work is completed in me but now with every soul that you interact with at work at school at home would you with me have a burden for them for souls around the world that you would share the love of Christ to them. Bringing as many people with you as you possibly can and I'm running out of time. I'm in negative minutes. So I guess we better have the band come on up. Matthew 13 tells us verses 31 through 33 That the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it was the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest. He also says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman takes and mixes into a large amount of flour, and it works all the way through the dough. The kingdom of God started with a very small, small band of 12 uh, disciples and 120 followers who then, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, exploded to 3,000 on one day as the Holy Spirit fell. And from that moment forth, the kingdom of God has been growing slowly, slowly, slowly. Until I would say to you, I have read a couple of different uh, articles and, and, and just incredible things. You would have the, the world, the media would have you believe that Christianity is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and becoming less and less effective and that Christianity is being overrun by everything, secularism, liberalism, uh, atheism, Christianity is being overrun. But I will tell you from a global perspective, from a worldwide and even here in America, Christianity is the fastest growing belief on the planet, on the planet. Uh, at this point, uh, actually some of these numbers are from 2010, so 6.9 billion people on the planet, 2.4 billion are Christians, that's 33%. The next largest group of religious belief is Islam at 1.6 at 24%. Atheism is only 16%, Hindu is 15 I will tell you that in Africa, uh, in, in the 1900s, there was only 10 million uh, believers, but by the year 2000, there was 360 million believers in Africa. 
that, and they're projecting that by 2025 there will be 633 million believers in Africa. They're projecting by 2025 in Asia there will be 460 million believers. In Latin America, 640 million believers. They are believing by 2050, if the, if the growth is continuing as it has been, that there will be 3 billion Christians. That is double the amount of those who believe in Islam. The power of the gospel continues to leaven the earth and grow and grow and grow and grow. And the enemy wants to sow seeds that make you feel like the power of God is being squelched and shrinking and getting smaller and smaller just to discourage you. But I am here to say, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like leaven. It's like the growth of a mustard tree. Small, but steady, 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 steady. I have incredible uh, stuff here. Um, in 1880, or 1989, it was said that there are uh, 39% of Americans had strong religious beliefs, 39. In 2019, it is said now that 47% of Americans have strong religious Christian belief. Just in a few years, what a jump. You know, you're going to hear about the church is dying. Yeah, the church is dying in America. It's the mainline liberal churches that take the God out of Jesus. That take sin out of sin. And begin to gloss over everything morally. But I will tell you, the churches that are standing for truth, standing on the words of Jesus, standing and holding, holding this very conservatively, those churches are exploding with growth across America. It is said that the percentage of church attendance now in 2019 is four times greater than it was in back in 1776 when our nation was founded and was considered a Christian nation. Wow. Four times as much now. The kingdom of heaven is growing. And I have so much more to share with you, but I can't. It's, it's over with. I need you to all stand. I need you to know That through the Gospels, 149 times, kingdom of heaven is at hand. Kingdom of heaven is nigh. Kingdom of heaven is here. But those writers of the Gospel, those disciples, watched Jesus die, go into the grave, and rise up victorious. And from Acts on, it never says anything more about the kingdom of God is at hand. Do you know what it, the main theme is of the rest of the New Testament? Jesus is Lord that he did it that he won and that he reigns when he said it is finished it changed everything Philippians 2 verses 9 through the 11 therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord we serve 
We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will, through his love, oh people of God, his love, he is love and his love is continuing to grow inside of our hearts, displacing fear, displacing everything within us, displacing sin. I would say right now that if you are harboring sin in your heart, that it becomes more and more difficult. I want it to be so hard for the people of New Horizon to harbor inner sin. Oh, get rid of it, people, right now. Get rid of it. Just, ah, and let the kingdom of God expand in your heart. Leavening it. Leavening it. Growing like a mustard tree inside of you. Inside of you. And if you feel that you have become lethargic, if you feel like the kingdom of God has quit changing on the inside of you, then I say, people of God, let's get some repentance going and let's run to the altars and pray, Lord God, repent. I repent for I want the kingdom of God inside of me. The only thing that's keeping the kingdom of God away from you is anything that is of the kingdom of darkness. This is why Jesus said, repent, yield, run from it. No rebellion in Jesus' name. Throw your hands in the air right now. Thank you, Father, 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 Father. That the gospel of love is so much more than just a gentle embrace. There's a balance of, of reconciliation, a balance of, of love. There's a balance of that embrace. And then there's a just side of God that still comes in love. There's a strong hand of God that still comes so much in love that makes his holiness. And he wants us to approach him in both. He wants us to approach him in repentance. He wants, to approach him, wants us to approach him in holding strong to those words. And we hope today in hearing today's word that that's how you feel. We want to invite you to, just as if you were here, to approach Jesus, the throne room in the kingdom of God, knowing that there's a just, a strong, and a holy God that also loves and looks forward to the repentance and looks forward to the embrace and wants nothing more than freedom for you through his very words. Father, we just thank you today, God, for those who joined us online today, God. We thank you that they, God, just as if they were in the room, were able to, to be fully enveloped in all that your word is and all that your presence, God. We just say let every word spoken today that has gone out over the internet, that has gone out on streaming and social media platforms, God, we say let those words be just as powerful as the words that God declared on the cross and the words that God declared on the mountain and the words that God declared in red lettering. Let them be just as powerful today on all forms of communication, Father. We thank you for those who have joined us online, God, and we say bless them. God, we say bless them, and we say speak to them, reveal the one level of word to them, God, and how this word applies to them, where they are today. Father, we just declare everything in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Again, thank you so much for joining us today online. We ask, our ask of you is that you would continue to join us and that you would go to our YouTube channel and you would subscribe. Check out our Facebook where you can also see the live streaming. Again, thank you so much. We love you and we bless you and we look forward to having you back next week.